0: Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week's episode we are discussing something I think that will likely resonate with a lot of you and that is dealing with the later stages of recovery and navigating the triggering social media posts that we see and how we deal with that. Now I I particularly think this is a an important episode for right now because here in the UK we have just been told about the potential path to the end of lockdown here in the UK and we've been given this date of June the 21st and there's been a lot of pressure around you know changing the way we look for you know this end of lockdown moment and that a lot of that involves weight loss and I know that can be triggering for a lot of people. So I am joined by registered nutritionist and intuitive eating counselor Ollie Matatal. and you may know her as at Well with Ollie and if you don't know her already you will love her and you must go follow her work. Ollie is brilliant and we had such a a really insightful, interesting and I think I've personally found a really enjoyable conversation and I think a lot of what Ollie talks about from her own experiences are so relatable. So I really hope you enjoy this discussion. Before we get into it, of course, it's time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's train happy moment comes from train happy trooper Sarah, who let us know I was having a really bad period symptoms yesterday and I haven't been feeling great for the past three to four days. I decided that I was going to do a workout to feel better and happier. Just when I started skipping, I knew that my tummy area, hello cramps, didn't feel good at all. So I stopped skipping and I did a low impact circuit and yoga after. I would usually feel really guilty or less worthy because I couldn't finish a workout I wanted to, but I listened and I felt so much joy for doing so. Cramp subsided a while too. Think it was my body's way for saying thank you for listening. And I love that, Sarah. I really love the example of adapting and working with your body and your energy rather than trying to, you know, force your body to do something that you'd originally planned, but that didn't feel right for you. That's such a great um, example of listening to your body and being intuitive, which is what we're all about here. If you want to share your train happy moment with us, please get in touch on email at trainhappypodcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us at trainhappypodcast and we will read those out for you. Okay, so here is my discussion with Ollie. Like I said, I think you're going to enjoy this one. Let us know what you think on social media if you do. um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this discussion. Welcome, Ollie, to the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. How have you you been? Oh, our pleasure. How have you been 2021 so far? It's been a roller coaster of
1: a time, but how have you been? Definitely. Thank you for asking. I think, to be honest, I've come into this new year feeling like, okay, I'm just going to really focus on, like, doing little things every day that are going to help support my mental health. Last year, there was so much going on, and it just really felt like such a slog, literally every day. Mm. I I love that word. It just felt like such a slog. Um, And to be honest, going into January, I found it a bit difficult because online, there's a typical, like, new year, new me, everyone's starting afresh. (laughs) all of all of that nonsense in my opinion um and I didn't really feel like I had a new year until the first of Feb um and something just switched I don't know if it was the days getting a bit brighter um I'm not sure if it was just something sort of like within me but something switched and I was like "Do you know what this the first of Feb is my new year I'm going to take it from here and I'm going to do sort of little realistic things each day to help support my mental health um and one of those things has been journaling which has been so helpful (laughs) I used to hate journaling and actually it's like an ongoing joke on my platform that I really find journaling difficult Um, and on the 1st of February I was like let me just try it everyone's talking about it let me just try it Um, and it's helped so much so I'm feeling in a much better headspace there's still lots going on and that it is still really difficult but I'm definitely feeling like I'm in a position where I've got a bit more power back Um, and yeah that's a really really great feeling and a sort of newer feeling um, compared to the last like 12 months.
0: (laughs) Definitely do you have any like little tips you do for journaling do you give yourself questions to answer do you just randomly write your thoughts down because I always felt like there was some magic way you were meant to do it and (laughs) I ended up just writing my stream of consciousness down almost like how I'm feeling down but I do know that there are great places where with prompts and questions that can also be really helpful so I wondered if you had a preference or how you how you choose to journal
1: definitely and I think you know what it's funny you said that actually because I think that's what put me off the most yeah whenever someone's like okay you have to write it this way sometimes I'm just like oh I can't do it and then I just won't even try it um so I think I start by doing just like a stream of consciousness just writing everything down um and then I just ask myself like try and ask myself like three questions like how are you first of all um what's something that you want to sort of achieve and it's not like I want to you know change the world in 20 days or whatever it's just like what's something today that you can do that will make you feel like okay cool that's been a a, something to accomplish today um and then if there's just like a question that's been in my mind or a topic that's been in my mind or something that's like sort of I just need to get off my chest I just sort of like ask or answer that in a question um but I think a stream of consciousness helps it's quite fun as well and and you look back and you're like wow I was thinking like all of those thoughts in one day um but yeah I would definitely recommend and if anyone else has been struggling with it I honestly recommend it as someone who used to hate it try it honestly try it
0: (laughs) agreed agreed and I think it's like one of the in some ways it's one of the most accessible things to do like a pen and paper like hopefully we all have access to that um Mm -hmm. where you know other mental health services are are harder to get yes so you are a registered nutritionist and a qualified personal trainer Mm -hmm. um and you specialize in intuitive eating working at the centre. Or intuitive eating in London and um or London Centre of Intuitive Eating. That's yeah, right. that's right. Um and you are I presume like Haze based. Yeah. Um and for people who don't know what Haze is, listen to last week's episode where we get into it. Um but was it always that way? How did you even get into this stuff in the first place
1: and, and what was your path to nutrition and fitness? Yeah, definitely. So For me, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit later, so I struggle with an eating disorder um, in my sort of like earlier years Um, and for me when I was going through that process of recovery I had a really really brilliant dietitian and honestly like every international women's day I think of her because she's just helped shape my like whole life even though that sounds really deep but it's very true she's helped shaped me as a person so much she was brilliant Um, and also towards the sort of later months of my recovery the last few months I had a really brilliant personal trainer who I think without even realising it he had a bit more of an intuitive movement Um, sort of ethos and at that time it was something that I hadn't even heard of before so Mm. they were two really brilliant people that helped me um, and who both sort of I was very inspired by them to go to uni to study nutrition and health and then whilst I was at uni I qualified to become a personal trainer Um, but sort of whilst I was at uni and when I did my PT course and when I was studying I actually realized a lot of what's sort of taught academically wasn't reflective of my personal ethos and the ethos that these two people had um sort of introduced to me Mm. and I remember sitting in lectures thinking like is all we're going to learn about weight loss weight loss methods the you know diabetes this or whatever I just couldn't wrap my head around it and I just thought you know surely this isn't it surely there's so much more to it than this, and I remember we'd have a few sort of psychology modules where we'd speak about eating disorders, and it was just very sort of like a brush over, sort of almost like let's just tick the box to say that we've spoken about it, but there was never any sort of scope to talk about intuitive eating, to talk about health at every size, they weren't even mentioned. Mm. Um, And especially, you'll probably know this as well, from personal training courses. Even more basic. Yeah, so it's either basic or just so like, just so outdated. It's just very like, I wasn't really sure, again, how this would fit into my own personal ethos. So when I graduated, I started to do more of my own research. Um, I started following people like you, um, Laura Tomasino, and just so many more people who sort of Were reflective of my own ethos. Started to research about it, and I think I was surprised at how many papers and podcasts and documentaries there were about intuitive eating, health at every size, etc., and how you know dangerous weight stigma is because it wasn't even spoken about in these sort of academic and professional spaces I've been in and I I was like yes finally like people who get my ethos and who inspire my ethos so that's sort of my journey it was very like academic at first and then it was just sort of taking things into my own hands and thinking do you know what actually people deserve better than what we're being taught so how can I show up sort of as with those qualifications that I have and help people.
0: It's so interesting how um you know fitness training like personal training courses and nutrition courses like do really just focus on the same thing and they don't really evolve and I know on the fitness side there are people um you know working really hard to change that bring an awareness to weight stigma and um you know how that impacts people's engagement with exercise and how we help people in larger bodies exercise because yeah. we all move differently and that's really mm-hmm. important to not just consider one body type when you're thinking about how am I going to train this person and I yeah. think the same thing with nutrition right it's got to be inclusive and like you know this I need to
1: work with the individual rather than the kind of stereotype yeah. I've been lo- I've been taught absolutely and um, it's so interesting because I think from my experiences growing up, I grew up in a counter house with my five siblings, and some of the things that we were taught people were "quote unquote" supposed to eat um, things like quinoa. My mum never bought quinoa. Yeah. <laughs> like we yeah. never have, we never had stemmed properly. We, you know, we ate our at home cooked meals and whatever, but it was never these sort of kind of inaccessible foods. Um, and on top of that, my dad's black. He's from Kenya, and I I just remember never seeing his sort of cultural foods or foods that I would recognize that he would cook at home in any of my lectures I would never mm. see um something called Ugali I'd never see his sort of like stews, things like that we were never taught about how we could show up as professionals in this space and accommodate to people of different cultures and that's just my culture so um it made me think like I wonder about everybody else here who has a different sort of heritage and background and how they must feel as well that's so interesting that's something I
0: not having had the nutrition education was you know maybe had some awareness of but also didn't realize how it's so focused on a western diet and it's not focused on different communities and we know there are you know different cultures and communities within like the UK definitely and these people need still need the same services and and we need professionals have the same under same understanding of that
1: no for sure and definitely being in a university in London as well I was thinking yeah the majority of our students are black or BIPOC so I'm not sure why we're only being taught about sort of western ideals and I think as well what came with that was a lot of stigma that um a western diet was healthier and I think I definitely felt that pressure of like you know has everything that I've been raised on being quote-unquote unhealthy we can talk about those terms I don't really like the words healthy and unhealthy but just for purpose of ease but Mm. um I definitely felt that pressure a lot so it's it's been brilliant now to sort of find uh, nutritionists and dietitians online who um, advocate for that sort of de-stigmatisation and how we can say, you know, look, someone's cultural food or heritage food or, or you know, however you want to describe it, isn't quote-unquote unhealthy, but how can we show up as dietitians and recognise that and help support people in what they, first of all, have access to and, what, second of all, what they like, what they enjoy to mm. eat, what they're used to eating, so... Yeah, I think that's really important.
0: It is so. In, yeah, it is so interesting to me that yeah we are. not I don't know. Like there just isn't that same respect and yeah. knowledge around different cuisines and different definitely. Um, you know what food is common in different communities. Definitely. Um, and I think it is. You know, I've seen. Like I said, maybe you're more in the nutrition stuff than I am, but I have seen. There are people online talking about this. There are people highlighting that, um, you know, cultural food is important. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. you know it's important to experience your culture and and have that familiarity. Um, and yeah, we we need more awareness of that. Is that kind of one yeah. criticism you would have of your education? Then that you you would like to see more of that included along with acknowledge. Absolutely. yeah,
1: like absolutely, because I think when you don't include something, you're saying that it's not important, you're saying mm. that it doesn't matter, um so to not even be taught or to not even have the conversation of how to recognize someone's culture or um to even discover or ask them about their cultural foods. that wasn't even a you know a topic that we had it was literally just <laughs> what we were shown um I think you're just sort of sending implicitly the message that it doesn't really matter, and you know um policies and standards are more important than people's personal experiences definitely um
0: you mentioned your own experience with an eating disorder yeah um and I wondered how finding this work has perhaps impacted positively your recovery and how kind of and you know discovering intuitive eating for example whether that was a you know a stage in your recovery um and how this this kind of framework has supported you as an
1: individual definitely so I think um with recovery I feel like throughout every stage that I sort of um reached or yeah just sort of every post every part of the sort of healing process I had a chance to sort of be reflective of how Um, much I'd grown and how much I'd changed sort of within that time frame Um, and I was in therapy for about five years um, for my eating disorder so that was like right up until the end of college Um, and I think something I had to realise sort of after I left therapy was that just because i left like the focus hadn't just stopped it wasn't like mm-hmm. okay now I just don't ever have to like look after myself again it was something that um, took a bit more time after that and I think it was really important for me to then be able to discover intuitive eating and intuitive movement after i left therapy because I think when you're sort of surrounded by diet culture so much and especially on social media especially in the social media age it can be really triggering um, and I think that's something now that I I feel really proud of myself that I'm at a point now where things, where I can scroll through Instagram and I can recognize that, you know, in the past that post might have triggered me, but now because I've done so much work and I've done so much of like this reading and research and work on myself, it doesn't it doesn't trigger me. I can just scroll past and think, do you know what that post has nothing to do with me? I'm just going to move on and, you know, mute that person or unfollow them or whatever. But that doesn't have to affect me. Um, So I think it has been a really important part of supporting the sort of long-term journey journey of life even though that sounds a bit cringy but I think it's just it's it's been really important in the sort of continued healing process um and it's helped sort of um I guess maybe prevent relapses or just yeah just help support me I guess and do you notice
0: that if things do trigger you yeah that that's like a red flag I'm like oh okay there's something here and I need to go and explore this and maybe this yeah. is something to journal about or take to therapy or you know think upon rather than you know immediately panicking.
1: Yep, yeah, definitely and it's very interesting because I think I think I did a post or I'm about to do a post about this <laughs> but um, I remember when things used to trigger me I used to sort of project that onto the person and think oh my gosh why would they post that do they not know that people you know x y and z do they not know how I feel and no they don't know how I feel so that's actually something that I realized that that was actually work that I needed to do if I saw a picture of someone that had maybe a different body shape to me and that would trigger me I need to think okay why is that triggering me what work do I need to do internally to sort of dismantle that unpack that so that when I am scrolling through Instagram or whatever it is that doesn't impact me anymore because the sad reality of it is as much as we can do the work, diet culture is still around us. Diet culture hasn't just stopped because we've stopped subscribing to it. Mm. Um so it's sort of equipping yourself and preparing yourself and having that armor to carry with you um in a world that is so submersive in diet culture um so I think yeah it has been really important to be reflective and think do you know what that has triggered me but that's maybe not that person's fault even if they've done something wildly problematic um or they've posted you know there's things that I find super unhelpful like what I eat in a day videos and I think that's starting to become a bit more of a universal agreement that you know they they are a bit problematic, but it's like okay, but still, so what can I do to protect to protect myself in this situation? Um, yeah,
0: I'm really interested
1: in this because
0: as someone who shares things online and you know likes to talk about my own experience, which I know is triggering for people because I know mm. that it will bring up stuff for people. Um, yeah, it's it can be a really fine line between being true to yourself and your story and your experiences Mm -hmm. and also being aware that, you know, I know that people who consume my content, and I'm sure you know the same, are trying to repair their relationship with food and exercise and are trying to feel better about certain things. And that so I certainly thoroughly think through everything I do. And I (laughs) and I don't always get it right. And I Mm -hmm. get the occasional thing of like, oh, that's um interest like that's interesting and what I found really interesting was I did some sponsored content last year on Instagram and it was for a certain um like a certain yogurt product that someone had strongly associated to their disordered relationship with food and for them that was a diet food and that was they you know that was one of their good foods if you know what I mean yeah and that they'd had a strong a a strong um tie with that to them is that is diet culture that that product is diet culture. And it was really interesting. So they messaged me after I'd done this thing and said, you know what? I saw that. And I was like, I can't believe she's done that. I can't believe she's spoken about this product. But then I realized that you have done a lot of work to neutralize food and, you know, things aren't good and bad. It's just what it is. And that I need to do some work on that. And that's something I need to do. And I was so grateful for that message because, oh my goodness, things, things trigger me. I, yeah. you know, I will go on TikTok is the worst because you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you're going to get. And I'm scrolling through and I'm like, oh my goodness. And there's a lot of things I immediately, as soon as I know it's going to be a transformation, for example, I immediately yeah. scroll because I just know it's just not, I'll either get angry yeah. or annoyed and it's just not good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so lovely to kind of have that feedback of like oh okay I need to do some work on this that's amazing
1: yeah I was like the growth (laughs) growth? yeah like amazing Brilliant. yeah I think to be honest I think a lot of people can learn from that story there um because I've definitely been in situations where and I think it's it's very natural as humans to feel like that and like like you said as well you can scroll through something and feel annoyed or whatever and you can almost feel like you want to message that person or comment why are you doing this and I think there can be helpful ways to sort of draw people in and you know maybe speak to them on a human level i don't Mm. think there's any need to be nasty and say do you know what actually that might be problematic for this reason but again i don't control what you post you have autonomy over what you post but um again i think that's for things that are more just sort of universally wildly problematic um but when it's more some something more personal like the yoga example i think that's a brilliant thing to recognize that um, people are in different sort of journeys different positions of their different journey stages of of yeah their recovery really and
0: exactly I like you say like you can have a reasonable idea of where people are at like I can gauge yeah. to a reasonable degree but I don't know everyone's individual mindset and yeah so sometimes like I'm not going to be the place for you and yeah. I fully accept that and that I take that as no reflection yeah. on me as a person you know mm-hmm. even if you don't like me like that's fine. Yeah. Because there's people I had to mute and unf- unfollow. And I also know, this is another thing, that where I have been super problematic in the past, like, yeah. oh my goodness, I, I I did a post last week just saying sorry about it because I saw that. Just, I kind of forget in some ways that I you know, someone said, Oh, I was kinda of saying these food was that we had and someone was like, Oh, but well, I actually picked that one up from you and I you know. Um, it's important i think to a apologize for that but also people have said okay well last time i came onto your page you were very much in diet culture and it's really refreshing to come back here and see that you're not (laughs) you know yeah um and i think we need to give people the time and grace to grow and you as the individual have to set the boundaries about who Mm. you're willing to follow and not follow and when you're ready to consume their content versus not um definitely and I wonder if you find that um, with your clients, your like in clients you're working with intuitive eating on, that they find, you know, when you are trying to go through the early stages of intuitive eating, especially I've got messages in my inbox about this today, and mm. I get asked about this a lot. Like, how do I deal with my friends and family, and how do I deal with those people, yeah. and, and what do I do? What do you think about that from a professional perspective and a personal <sighs> that, perspective?
1: Yeah, that is really really difficult, um, and I've been really grateful that I think the people around me and my close circle and family recognize you know my history people know what I've been through so they're more mindful anyway but then it's sometimes you might be at an event or at uni or wherever it is and someone just says something and you're like it's, it's almost like that like a stab in your heart like oh my gosh I can't believe you just said that that was so triggering and you know problematic um so things that have been really helpful for me is just having like a little archive in my head of affirmations of you know that comment doesn't need to bother me that that comment wasn't about me um that comment wasn't a reflection of where I'm at or what I need to do um if that person's just said that they need to go on a diet I don't need to go on a diet um and just having that as a grounding technique has been really helpful and that's something that I would recommend and I shared that on Instagram recently um because I think you can just get triggered and then it can throw you off and you might sort of then you know find mentally your distance because you're thinking about that comment but I think really understanding and this is something I also shared as well um and it's something a therapist said to me is you know you can't control what people say to you but you can control how you respond um and I don't know why that stuck with me so much but I think more and more recently I'm learning that like it's very very true people might say things in a certain situation that is triggering or problematic but You don't have to internalise that. That's not your responsibility to hold that or take that in. And I think that's a really important reminder.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) And it's been a learning curve too, to not take everything personally. And, you know, when I'm with my boyfriend and maybe, you know, we're with friends or, you know, in a situation where even when we watch a programme on the TV, there'll be things where someone says something flat phobic or someone says something... Most likely fatphobic because I feel like that's now still acceptable on TV, yeah. and Jack's almost like he looks at me like I can, I can. Yeah, that's exactly. not okay. Is it? That's not okay. Like, <laughs> no, are you are you okay? And I'm like it's, like, it's fine. Like, this is the world. Yeah. And like this, like I I get it. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. We'll mm. push against it. We'll. But I I don't know. And I say that with a level of privilege of being in a thin body yeah. and being able to not take it as a as extremely personal attack. Definitely, but I think, yeah, it's where it's so embedded in in yeah. the media. Um, you kind that's of that's
1: interesting, yeah. Actually, but it's so you interesting. Your partner, yeah, and how he's just always like, oh, yeah. You said that, the like, same, like... and it's so funny because I think I I actually love that so much because I think like oh you actually listened to what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's really great I think, and that's all that you can do. And I think when mm. and that that's another piece of advice to answer your question as well. You know, all you can do is show up for yourself and show up with your ethos and the things that you care about, um, and in you know yours and mine examples there like our partners are like oh that's really problematic and they're starting to recognize it and friends are starting to say oh my gosh can you believe that like this is on the headline of this and I'm like I know I'd be really like saying this so so long as you're sort of like taking autonomy of that and just showing up for yourself and then also at the same time balancing that when people do say things that are problematic it's not your job to sort of carry that all you need to do is show up for yourself how you are what you're doing um, I think it will positively rub off and you know impacts other people and especially if you have social media as well.
0: I've said it before in this
1: podcast as well that it's also not
0: our job to save everyone from diet culture. Yeah,
1: yeah, no that's very true. And
0: I think as and I don't I don't know if you ever felt this like training in nutrition, I think training as personal trainers, I think personal trainers in particular have quite the savior complex. And I know that I definitely, I definitely entered the industry being like, well, I did it and everyone else Mm. will do it, do what I did. And, you know, if everyone just listens to me, then they will be, you know. Yeah. Um, and I have to catch myself even now doing the work I'm doing, because even though I've changed my stance, right? Yeah. I still have to realize like not everyone wants, needs wants Mm -hmm. to get on board with this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just have to be like but the people that do need it and you know I hope yeah. I'm able to you know resonate with the people that are ready and and mm. want this but I recognize that not everyone does and everyone's yep. got to do their own thing but that oh, it was hard initially it's like yeah. yeah when you first I don't know about you but when you first discovered like health every size wasting when choose for eating and you're like
1: what? Yeah, you just think, oh my gosh, what have I done? It's almost like that yeah. penny drop moment. Like I cannot believe I used to say those things or post those things. My thing for me, and it's actually funny because at uni people people would actually joke and say like, oh, do the Ollie pose. I used to love doing bum poses in the mirror. And if that uh, empowers you, that that empowers you. But yeah. at the same time, I look back and I just think how was that helping anyone? How was that reflecting my ethos in any way, shape or form? And again, it's not a dig at anyone who does that and, you know, posts whatever empowers you. But for me, I just look back and think like, how was that helpful? How was that helpful?
0: <laughs> but we learn, we grow, we yeah. we, we, we do these things. Definitely. Um, I also wanted to talk about in recovery, how you have navigated exercise because I think yeah. this doesn't get spoken about as much. Um, I think, in eating disorder recovery, there's often talks of, like, working with a dietitian and a meal yeah. plan and getting to a point of, of weight restored and all, all those really important processes. Um, and I think this is why I really wanted to, you know, to talk about intuitive movement and kind of expand upon joyful movement as an idea mm. and really think about it even in, you know, really zoom in on it. Because I don't think there's enough dialogue around exercise and and for those who are in recovery so um what are your thoughts about that and and how do you think exercise can play a role in people's recovery
1: yeah definitely I think for me um and I found it very difficult at first but I just sort of had to accept and acknowledge that there was a point where I just had to stop exercising and that was a really really important part um of my recovery and I think if I tried to sort of keep exercising whilst I was doing everything else it it would have just been counterproductive um and that is really difficult and I know you know if anyone is in recovery right now they might be hearing that and think you know I can't do that I can't stop exercising like what do you mean stop exercising Mm -hmm. um but I had to really recognize that that wasn't you know my my the rational side of my brain thinking that was the sort of um eating disorder part of my brain thinking and you know overcoming that was like a really important and empowering part of recovery um so I definitely did stop exercising for for a long while to be honest and then you know for me, and I worked closely with my dietitian and a personal trainer, for me, um, it was sort of trial and error, so getting back into exercise. It was, you know, we'll try this this week. Um, and, you know, if that if that isn't working out, we'll try something else next week. We'll take, you know, a workout day off or add one, whatever it was. Um, and I think... I think just having space for that and knowing that that is something that is realistic and probably expected as part of your recovery journey is really important. Um, and then I think now it's been really brilliant because I've sort of understood that, you know, especially with online, how someone else moves, how someone else works out, whatever, again, it has nothing to do with me and I just need to take autonomy of myself for myself and be mindful and sort of compassionate and understanding that I've had a history of an eating disorder. So there are going to be situations, for example, running. Um, I find running really triggering. It was something that I definitely had a very unhealthy relationship with when i was uh, when i did have an eating disorder so now when people are like it was it was like at the start of lockdown um what was it the 5 5 for five 5k or something yes yeah yes. i found I that really that. I found myself finding that there was a bit of pressure to to do that um, and I found that a bit triggering and I think you know just showing up that although lots of people around me were doing it that works for them because of me and my history I had to be understanding that that just wasn't going to work for me and I just wasn't going to put myself in that position where I knew it would be triggering I would find it unhelpful um, and I think just having I think, yeah, that has been really, really important because, you know, we hear all, all of these things from the government, from online, whatever, that we should be doing this, we should be working out this way, we should be doing X, Y, and Z. But then just stepping back and being like, but what actually works for me? Yes. <laughs> I've been through this journey, I've had this experience, this is my body and, you know, how it moves or whatever. So what's going to work for me? And then taking that on board has been really helpful.
0: And have you found that you've wanted to. Change the way you move. So obviously, not running, and this is something I talk about when I talk about intuitive movement, and it's reflective of um, intuitive eating. When we talk about the, you know, this pendulum idea that when you decide to um, stop dieting, that yeah. you go to, you know, what we call donut land, and everything, like everything, yeah. you can have everything you want. <laughs> and similarly, with like recovery, in that sense of if you decide that I can't exercise for these. Reasons anymore, and I Mm -hmm. need to read. I need to work on this relationship. That the pendulum swings to rest, and then the the work is getting back to a happy medium where you find what you enjoy and what you what you like doing. And so, I I always say to people, if running was a part of your eating sort of, if running was Mm. strongly tied to dieting, then don't run. There's so many other ways to move your body. What other ways have you found? Um
1: what other ways have I found I think do you know what yoga I used to find yeah. yoga really difficult um during my eating disorder because for me I had the mentality that you know wasn't doing enough quote-unquote enough um, yeah. and then <laughs> or like <laughs> I wasn't sweat. sweating enough yeah, yeah yep. exactly and then just I think being a bit more realistic about movement has been important Um because it's not every day sweat and like having to be exhausted. To be honest, I'm not sure if that's an any day thing, but you know that maybe that's a conversation for another day. But um I think yoga has definitely been the thing. Walking as well. I don't know why I used to hate walking, which is really interesting because I grew up in like such a lovely area and I just found it again maybe something that I, you know, felt like I wasn't doing enough of. Um, and just taking Time to find movement that supported my headspace um I think that's been a, I think that's been a general big shift um of how I perceive movement something to support my mental health um rather than being something that I use as a punishment towards myself.
0: Can I ask about yoga and I wonder if this is the similar case for me that I found yoga really hard a because it didn't like the rules I had around exercise dictated that it had to be a certain heart percentage and i needed to sweat and i had to do xyz yeah but also yoga is very about being in your body and mm-hmm. being very grounded and connected with yourself yeah and when you're in that mindset of that kind of like eating disorder mindset <clears throat> part of it is the it's difficult to be with your thoughts and yeah. your in your head and it's difficult to process the difficult emotions and um and perhaps traumatic experiences that you've had mm-hmm. and so like not be, you know you don't want to be in your body you don't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to get you kind of get away from it, and I wondered, um I don't know if you've h- think about that personally or whether you've maybe think about that you've noticed that that's as a, as a generalization
1: yeah, do you know what I haven't actually thought about that before, um but now that you've said it, maybe that's like a, a piece of journal about uh later um but I can definitely recognize how you know that would be something that someone might feel um. And I think that is part of sort of the recovery process as, uh, as well. Just, you know, recognizing your body, being appreciative of it, um, mm. noticing it. Uh, Cause I think sometimes when you're going through an eating disorder, you almost just, I, well, I anyway felt like I almost just didn't want to uh, like look at myself or f- feel like I was in this body. Um, so I think taking time to actually appreciate it, um, and work towards loving it or being, com- and, and being compassionate towards it. So I can definitely recognize how that, yeah, how yoga would, would play into that so that's an interesting point (laughs) well I'm
0: thinking out loud there so yeah we can both journal about it (laughs) yeah definitely I'll
1: get back to you with what I said
0: (laughs) and so more of of, of fitness and how trainers can be sensitive and aware of this and how prevalent eating disorders are and disordered relationships with food um I've noticed online there's been like big fitness personalities Mm. controversial fitness personalities Really dismissing the importance and the impact that an eating disorder has on someone's a mental health and their physical health and well-being, and that and I think this is where the stereotype of eating disorders only affect thin white women Mm. is, you know, causing fitness professionals to completely disregard. That experience in so many potential clients in their online communities and therefore really harming people, you know. Yeah. So how do we create a more sensitive um I suppose how do we create more awareness and sensitivity to for fitness professionals to kind of yeah. be aware that eating disorders? Of people have eating disorders in, in all body shapes and sizes yeah um you don't have to have the traditionally like mm-hmm. super thin um look like yeah a, there isn't a that isn't a yeah look yeah it's it's uh it's, a, it's a, um a mental health issue so yeah yeah you go Definitely, what, what yeah. are your thoughts
1: I think that there's so much to sort of unpack with that and I think just from you and I speaking you know we're two people that entered this space probably arguably and admittedly being a bit problematic but it's only (laughs) through our own research and discoveries and actually actively seeking that information that we've been able to reflect and be like oh my gosh what was I thinking and I think it's the same thing people have to want to put in effort and a question that I always well I ask myself now and you know ask people that that I have conversations with I think you know why would you not want to help as many people as possible obviously like we were saying before you can't you can't save anyone and I think that's unrealistic as well to think that but why would you not want to help people um if you can if you have the means to if you have the resources everything like that and I think um and I've spoken about this on my page as well it's so problematic that we just have this idea that um eating disorders only affect you know slim affluent young white girls because although that demographic is completely impacted and it's really important that they get support that they need as well yep. again it's a mental illness so it's it just yeah it just it, it can impact any and everyone and i did a post recently actually um saying i was speaking about how you know although despite good intentions saying things like eating disorders don't discriminate can actually be a bit problematic um in terms of sort of representation of the black community and eating disorders because although yes eating disorders can impact anyone I think it's really important to look at the differences and how they can sort of how they can impact someone or different communities and how they can sort of come up um and I know that um and it's you know uh, recognized across sort of therapy that eating disorders can develop as a trauma response so for example when you're taking um a black person for example or myself or whoever um if you sort of look at how they show up in the world and how they have to exist in a world that we're learning so much more about how it's systemically racism and all of these things you know we've we've been having these conversations um you know it's sort of understandable that there's going to be a different level and a different experience and a different way that trauma manifests in that person so I think to loop back to the question I just think um you know research having an interest having a genuine interest to think okay how can I help more people if you're if you are recognizing that there's only a certain demographic that's showing up to your clinic to your sessions to whoever maybe you can look at yourself and what you're doing and think do you know what actually how can I be more inclusive here Because you know, if only if only one sort of type of people are are showing up, then maybe that's an issue—not an issue, but maybe that's a you know something to highlight that you could be doing something differently.
0: It's so important, I think, to to say that, um, and I thank you so much for highlighting that people do experience eating disorders differently. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm sure there are things that are common for people, but there are definitely things that are different based on yeah the the experience the community um and I'm really glad I'm really glad you raised that and similarly when we're talking about even eating disorders but health and all these things and there's a lot of in fitness we're seeing a lot of people get on their high horse about what they think is best for people's health yes. and fitness <laughs> and, and if you just listen to them um and what we're not talking about in that conversation are the social de- determinants of health mm. because a lot of the time those trainers are just saying, you know, if you just, it's because you're eating too much, you're just greedy, you're just this, you're just lazy and greedy. And that's, that's the, it's a you problem. Yeah. But what we know is it is a societal, well, it's not even a problem, but there are societal factors at play that mean that it's not an even playing field for everyone. There is, you know, we're thinking of, you know, impacts of poverty, racism, mm-hmm. um, marginalisation, you know, if you're um, LGBTQ, all those yep. experiences are going to affect your physical and mental wellbeing. Yeah, of course. And and I, I think this is where, you know, as professionals, we have to just get clued up on these things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when people you know like you were saying people who are a bit on their high horse, uh, speaking about you know the things that they were speaking about how they can make a connection with mental health and exercise but only when it's sort of in their the way that they they envision it the way that they think about it and it's like so if you can recognize that mental and physical health sort of linked together how can you not recognize that if someone's struggling with their mental health it might play out in their physical health as well so yeah that's definitely an interesting an interesting observation that I've definitely had a lot more recently and it's it it can be frustrating but then again it's that bringing myself back down and just thinking okay how can I show up what can I speak about how can I raise this in my space that hopefully you know people will start to share and speak about this
0: such a great. Point, because if you're willing to if you're willing to moan about the gyms not being open for mental health reasons yep. then we also have to acknowledge the other things that impact our mental health exactly. like weight stigma like body shaming like um and I'm thinking of those things that those, those people do but Definitely. also that like you say there are these social determinants as well and we we yep. have to to be aware of them so I really appreciate bringing up that that point <laughs> And I I think the same can be said, and I know there's been criticism of um, eating disorder recovery spaces Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, wellness in general, those two things aren't the same thing, but Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these spaces are very white spaces that have this similar body type represented. Um, Yeah. You know, if I think of all the different festivals and events there have been that I've attended that I've been involved with over over the years um very rarely do we have any sort of diversity
1: yeah and I
0: you know and I really hope if we learn anything from 2020 it's like that has to yeah. has to stop we it just has it can't be that so Definitely. um you know what are your your thoughts on because I saw you read and I think I, and I went back on your work oh. and <laughs> um and you've done a great post about like the barriers for black people yep. and people of color to be involved in in these spaces Um, and I just wondered what your your thoughts were on that.
1: Yeah no that's interesting as well that you brought up sort of the event side of things as well and I I definitely raised that issue and it was interesting actually because I'm pretty sure it was last international women's day it might have been the one before but i'm pretty sure it was last year um there was an event hosted by a popular brand i'm not going to name names um and i was scrolling through the event pictures and i was like okay it's international women's day but i'm only seeing white women only white women there was only white women at the event and i just thought you know how can we be empowering all women if we're only including one demographic and it was interesting actually because i bought i sort of tagged the um the the brand and i was like you know. it would be great to see more representation here. Very polite. And it's interesting because people have joked like oh you're too nice you know you know you can be angry about this you're allowed to be angry about this but I, f- I feel like personally I just have an approach where I'm just like let me just be gentle I like the gentle approach but <laughs> um so then that brand had uh posted a black square they were talking about black lives matter and then I sort of re-messaged them I was like oh do you remember like this message it would be great to have a d- uh, discussion about representation blah blah blah. I got ignored again to this day I've been ignored and it's just very interesting because I think that's what we're seeing a lot a lot of lip service and a lot of you know we want to be diverse we want to be inclusive but then not actually doing anything um and I think for clinics and you know for PTs we can sort of like take it from both aspects there has to be sort of the change at home or wherever your space is first if you're sort of your clinic or your um, gym or wherever it is if you only have white staff or you only have White people there that are sort of representing representing the people that you 're trying to help, you have to recognize that that 's a problem um, and i 've said it before you know there doesn 't need to be representation to validate someone 's experience. Your experiences are valid you know regardless of whether there 's that representation or not because it 's happened to you, and that 's your experience but what happens is when there is a representation it's it's saying or it's giving the message oh okay so it's actually really important um and I'm sure that you're um familiar with Grace Victory she's brilliant and you know she's in her process of healing at the moment so sending her lots of love but yeah I remember growing up um she was one of the first mixed-race women that I saw online if not the only in my experience anyway who had a similar sort of um background to me and Uh, was in eating eating disorder recovery as well that I'd ever seen speak about her experiences online and I remember when I discovered her and I discovered her book as well I was like oh my gosh I feel seen and to not only see her sort of journey but then also sort of her end and you know her healing and everything I was like Mm -hmm. wow there's actually hope for me and I think that's just a really important important message to get across you know if there's that representation there or someone that looks like me or whoever there is showing like wow I'm important in this space like my voice matters Um, and I think it's really important to understand that there can be sort of like a cultural um, importance as well. I had an experience recently and I was speaking to some some friends about this where um, I had a therapist and it was around, it was a few months ago and I just had a feeling, she was a white therapist, and I just had a feeling that I felt a bit like her experiment. I felt like she was asking me questions that weren't really about my experiences to sort of help me. It was just more um, so that she could gain from it, so that she could sort of gain... um, I don't know. Yeah, it just, I just felt like her experiment. And it just made me, for the first time ever in a therapy session, it just made me think, you know, maybe in future I'll consider um, having a black therapist because there's going to be that sort of, they'll, they'll already have that understanding of lived experiences. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, that, that would be my biggest, biggest um, ask for people is hire people on your teams that are going to be reflective of the people that you're trying to help. Absolutely and I know in the UK
0: in terms of therapy there is um, Black Minds Matter which is doing awesome work at providing black therapists for black people in the UK Um, and they've been able to do amazing and they've been able to provide it free for people through donations and and things and definitely
1: and I can send you some um, resources as well to put in the show notes or wherever you want to. yes do yeah that focus on yeah black mental health
0: yeah please do that would be so lovely right definitely it's time to ask you what has been your most recent train happy moment
1: I love that I love that question so much do you know what this time around we're in lockdown what now lockdown three four three. five <laughs> I don't know do you know what for me it's really really taking time to rest I think the first lockdown I felt a bit like um I had itchy feet I just felt um yeah like I just wanted to go for walks I wanted to you know do do all of those things because it was it was a very new environment um and this time around I'm just tired (laughs) like I'm just really tired and I think again it's linking that sort of mental and physical health mentally I'm really really drained there's just been lots going on um and I think just holding space myself and being able to take rest has been really really important um so yeah that's been my sort of train happy moments recently is allowing myself rest and not feeling guilty for it
0: so glad you highlighted (laughs) that because oh my goodness we need to talk about rest more we need to to i don't know i think we need to give it its importance like its emphasis that rest is just as important as as the workout part and yeah i mean that's why when i always say train happy moment i i always say like this is something where it could be listening to your it's listening to your body right and if your body's asking for rest
1: give it rest definitely um I saw this I saw this quote on Instagram and it was like give your body rest before your body makes you rest and it's so true burnout so is so real true. <laughs> yeah. yes I love that
0: yeah so true I love that um and oh and how much and I mean you know and this could be a whole other episode And I, I would love to do a whole other episode um in general about this because I'm so fascinated by the way that so much of our mental health and the way we experience things is so physical yes. and there's such physicality and it is in our bodies and so like you said if you're feeling if you're mentally drained you're going to physically feel drained Definitely. and it's it's a, it is you know honoring that is so important yeah um, allowing
1: yeah allowing yourself to show up and just be like I'm tired I'm tired this week I'm tired this month and I'm just going to let myself rest because that is so important it's so important. And I think it's something that's thrown around so much. <laughs> it's You know, we all talk about rest, rest, rest. And I think actually the nap ministry, they're really good on yes, Instagram. Yes, yes. Yes. They did a, a post recently and they were like, less talking about rest and more rest. And I was like, okay, mom. <laughs> and then just like went for a nap. And it's so true. Just holding space for yourself and just being like, you know what? I'm just going to take the week off. I'm going to take the month off, whatever <laughs> it is. Um, and just, yeah, be compassionate be
0: compassionate ollie has been such a pleasure to chat with you thank you so so thank so much for, for your time me, of course my pleasure where can everyone find your work yeah. and your services and, and things like that
1: Definitely. So um, you can find me on every platform. I just have Instagram and TikTok. (laughs) Um, And that's just well with Ollie. So just OLI. And I work at London Centre for Intuitive Eating. So if anyone is struggling at the the moment, if anyone needs some support, um, we have counselling, we have resources, we have guides, so many things. We have an Instagram as well. um, And you can find all of those those things online and on Instagram.
0: (laughs) I'll link all of those below along with the resources you mentioned as well. Amazing yes thank you again and I hope we get to speak in person soon
1: yes me too
0: definitely (laughs) (laughs) and that is it for this week's episode of the train happy podcast thank you so much for listening I hope you took something away from this episode and if you did please let me know by sending feedback you can find us on instagram at train happy podcast or even better it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening as it really really helps to support and boost the train happy message and remember if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you then share your story with us via email trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the Train Happy Trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too, and it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening, and I will speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,